Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. All schools across the state will close by Tuesday morning under Governor Lamont's latest executive order to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Coming up, we hope to have Governor Ned Lamont join us here on Where We Live for a few minutes. Also coming up, we'll talk with Fran Rabinowitz, the executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents, about how school districts have planned for this and what happens if the closures extend past two weeks. We'll also hear how colleges and universities have responded to coronavirus. Now, we also want to hear from you this hour. Have you been sent home or are now working remotely? We want to hear from you. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. We also want to help answer your questions. So one of our in-studio guests here on Where We Live is Dr. Jessica Abrantes, infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford. Uh, She's here to help answer your questions. Dr. Abrantes, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. Also here with me in studio is Nicole Leonard. She's healthcare reporter for Connecticut Public Radio. Nicole, welcome back. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, Let's start with you, Nicole. What is the latest in terms of the number of confirmed coronavirus cases in Connecticut? So it's funny, when we talk about numbers, they're changing so rapidly. But as of Sunday night, we have 26 positive cases in the state of Connecticut. Most of them are in Fairfield County, um, but new over the weekend, we did see the first cases in uh, Hartford and New Haven counties. And these are just the ones that have been tested and found positive. Um, It's likely that there are other people across the state who are infected. We just don't know who they are yet. Do we know of the 26 positive cases, are all of these these individuals, people that are hospitalized as we speak? So not all of them are hospitalized. They've kind of been taking it on a case-to-case basis. Some people have been hospitalized. Most of them that are winding up in the hospitals, they do have complicated medical issues. Um, They may have some chronic diseases and underlying things that put them more at risk for suffering really serious illness, and they do need to be taken care of in the hospital. And some other people um, are actually being told they've tested positive and they're able to self-quarantine at home and ride out the illness, they're able to treat themselves and they're, uh, they're staying home so that they don't infect others and recovering from there. Uh, Dr. Abrantes, as Nicole mentioned, uh, this situation is changing rapidly. The number of confirmed cases continues to rise. But something that a lot of people in the community are concerned about as we hear about community transmission, that uh, there aren't enough tests to, um, to be able to find out how many people actually have coronavirus. So what are the testing protocols right now for someone who is ill and calls their doctor? So, great question. Testing has been a big issue uh, with detecting patients who may have coronavirus or COVID-19. So, as of right now, what we're asking patients to do is that if they have symptoms, if they feel ill, to first call their provider. Please do not just run to the ER, especially if patients are well enough to be able to stay home. Your healthcare provider can then kind of give you the next steps, but typically if patients are well enough to stay home, they should stay home. 
Um, patients who are not, so if they're having severe symptoms, short of breath, absolutely, you should be coming to the ER to get evaluated, which at that point, then we will determine who kind of meets testing cr- criteria. Um, as of right now, we're still testing through the DPH, so Department of Public, Department Health. Of Public Health, correct. Um, but we are looking at uh, outpatient, or excuse me, labs to get more testing available, Um so that we can have it more readily at hand. When you mention testing criteria for someone who is having shortness of breath and their health is deteriorating, obviously they want uh, to be calling their doctor. And their doctor may say, you need to go to a hospital. Will they call ahead to have the hospital be ready for them, especially if this is something that is so easily transmitted? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So healthcare providers can definitely call ahead to the hospital, the ER, to make them alert. The other thing that I want to stress is that St. Francis and essentially all hospitals here in Connecticut are ready and prepared that as soon as patients come into the ER, they are screened appropriately to see if they would meet criteria to test or to be concerned about coronavirus and then are isolated immediately. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. If you have a question about coronavirus, uh, maybe you're now working remotely or you've you've been sent off of your college campus. Uh, Many people, Dr. Brontes, are concerned that if they have a fever and uh, they definitely have cold symptoms and their doctor tells them to stay home, a lot of people want to know, is this coronavirus? But there still are, are not enough tests. What can you tell them? So at this point, especially with the fact that we have seen community spread, community spread meaning we have patients who've clearly become infected where we may not know exactly where they contracted that. Um, we have to assume it could potentially be coronavirus until proven otherwise. And again, testing has been a big issue. Um, so until that is remedied, until we have more options for testing, um, at this point, I would say you should assume it could be coronavirus and to stay home, uh, wash your hands, try to stay away from, you know, family members if you can isolate in a, in a room within the house as well. Um, again, until we have better taste testing capabilities. When you're talking about staying away from the public, that's what's called social distancing. Absolutely. Many people have been hearing this phrase time and time again over the last few days. Again, the, explain, because you are an infectious disease specialist, the importance of the fact that people should be not to be avoiding crowds, should be staying home, and if they start to feel ill, to make sure that, again, they're not um, infecting others. Yeah. So it's, I think, huge in this uh, situation that we're in about social distancing. And what I want to spread to our community is that our community can actually save lives by staying home. Uh, I want to stress the importance with social distancing that, you know, avoiding large crowds, because again, a majority of patients who do develop coronavirus may have very mild symptoms. And if those folks are still going out and, you know, in large gatherings, et cetera, which we are trying to avoid, they can easily then infect others who may be at higher risk for developing complications. Um, so great points with social distancing and the importance of that our community can do a lot by actually staying home and avoiding large crowds, et cetera. Uh, you're, again, you're listening to Where We Live. In studio with me, Dr. Jessica Abrantes, infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford. Also, Nicole Leonard is here, a healthcare reporter for Connecticut Public Radio. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. We hope to have the governor on our show in just a couple of minutes. We're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll continue the show 
after this 90-second break. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithancho. We're here today to talk about the latest efforts to respond to coronavirus in our state. Uh, Joining us now in studio is Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. Uh, Governor Lamont, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Uh, Many of us heard your briefing last night. Uh, Remind us, as you said, uh, several executive orders that you've put in place. Uh, Specifically yesterday, you talking about how all schools should close as of Tuesday morning. Why did you make that call now? First of all, our local superintendents and our local um, mayors have been really proactive. We've come forward with strong recommendations. First of all, when it came to parades and large public gatherings, they responded, canceled the uh, St. Patrick's Day parades, uh, sadly, I'm afraid. Uh, We talked to our superintendents of schools, said uh, right now uh, kids should stay home, close schools. I'd say 90, 95 percent of the superintendents did close their schools. There were still a few schools that were looking for direction, and those schools would be closed by the end of the day. Uh, You mentioned uh, last night as well that people still need to avoid large crowds. Originally, you put a cap of 250. Now you're urging people to follow what the federal CDC is recommending. And what is that, Governor Lamont? Look, the CDC recommendation is 50, but let's be blunt. Stay out of big groups. Social distancing made an enormous difference in Hong Kong and Singapore where they really uh, enforced that. Obviously, places like Italy, they were less successful and you see what's going on there. If you're over 60, 70, stay out of groups in total. Stay home. That is by far the safest place you can be. So whether it's 250 or 50, uh, my strong recommendation is if you can stay home, stay home. If you're needed at work, be careful. Uh, From talking with your advisors, with commissioners, uh, just traveling around the state, Governor, are people taking that advice? I think people have been really good. I think, um, you know, right now I'm going to be on the um, horn with uh, the the governors of New York and uh, New Jersey trying to figure out a really coherent way we deal with um, restaurants and bars, probably closing them down over a period of time. And we, I think we have to be fairly firm on that. We look what happened in Italy where they kept these open a little longer uh, perhaps than they should have and people were not taking it as seriously as they could have and their um, outbreak continued. How soon uh, could Connecticut close its Connecticut restaurants and, and bars and other establishments where people gather? So, Lucy, let me, let me talk to uh, Governors Cuomo and Murphy on that. Um, I think that's the way to go. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be very careful about that, but I think we're going to get that done. And you're saying that because people, you're worried that people will just cross the border to another state if something is open? Absolutely. Or? Look, yeah. the federal government should be taking the lead on this. And where they're not taking the lead, governors have got to step forward. If I did something in uh, Connecticut, people could drive across the border to New York or Massachusetts unless we did it uh, together. So that's why we're working on a regional basis. You have announced a public health emergency as well as a civil preparedness emergency. What does that mean for the the state of Connecticut? How is the National Guard involved? And, you know, can you explain why you need to take those measures? Uh, one gave uh, me a little bit more flexibility to accelerate some uh, rules. I wanted to um, make sure the public health uh, rules uh, facilitated hospitals like Trinity Hospital and uh, others so they could get faster testing for people. 
I wanted to make people alert that this is an emergency and we have to uh, respond accordingly. Speaking of testing, uh, many people are frustrated that there aren't enough tests for states like Connecticut. That's something that comes down from the federal government. What can you tell us about how many tests are available in our state right now? Federal government was woefully slow in getting us the test. Look what's going on in Asia. What a difference that made. If we had had these tests a month ago, we would have been able to isolate those who are infected and were carriers. Uh, right now, I think we have community transmission. But that said, uh, we have tripled our testing capacity in the last week. I think we'll triple it again over the next uh, week or so. Uh, we've got drive-through swabs so we can get people there. We're sending out-of-state to out-of-state labs. You'll find uh, five or six of our hospitals will be capable of doing the testing now or in the very near future. A lot of people are uh, very fearful, uh, Governor Lamont, because this is something that uh, none of us have ever experienced before. Uh, you mentioned the importance of social distancing. Three-quarter of the cases in Connecticut come from Fairfield County. Is there at any point that you would do something like New York State has done, uh, putting together a containment zone around New Rochelle? Could that happen here? Um, I can't tell people they can't travel. I think that's pretty tough in a, a free society like we've got. But I got to say, people are voluntarily self-quarantining, voluntarily staying at home, knowing that if they're not feeling quite right, it's flu-like symptoms, whatever it might be, stay home so uh, they don't endanger their fellow neighbors. I think we're able to get through this. I just want to give you a little, an anecdote that I heard, that, which made me, gave me hope. I mean, one of the first companies to recognize what was going on was Apple, and they closed down all their stores in China, let's say, a few months ago. And just last week, they closed down all their stores in the United States. But last week, they started reopening their stores in China. So we are going to get through this. I see you're in Asia right now. They've gotten through this through um, some very strict social distancing. If we're strict and take it seriously, we'll be there as well. But it's going to be uh, tough before it gets better. And have, what, tell us a little bit about the conversations you've been having with the Secretary of the State's office, with local registrars. Uh, we have a primary that's supposed to be coming up April 28th. Uh, what sh precautions should people be taking? How should officials be responding to those concerns? Uh, I, I have talked to Denise Merrill about that. You know, she has said, um, why don't we make uh, absentee balloting and uh, early voting a lot easier, a lot faster, so people don't have to go to uh, a voting venue. Obviously, we don't want anybody going to a nursing home to vote, so we got to shut that down. Whether we move the date back on the primary, why not? What's the rush? Um, I think it's much more important to get our public health right. And last question, uh, you had mentioned, again, you're going to work in collaboration with uh, neighboring states about closing bars and restaurants. A lot of people are working remotely. Not everybody can at this point. They're worried about their next paycheck. Uh, what are you doing to help those Connecticut residents, Governor Lamont? Look, for those folks who live paycheck to paycheck, hourly workers, uh, if they have some doubts, my God, I'm feeling some symptoms, but I need that paycheck, stay home. We're going to make sure we have uh, unemployment compensation available for you. We're widening those rules. You know, paid sick days, we're going to make sure that you're covered so there's no disincentive to do anything but the right thing for public health, stay home. Again, because you're collaborating with neighboring states, is there an upcoming announcement in the next hour with how you're going to be doing that with New York State and New Jersey? Yes. And anything else you can tell us, Governor Lamont? <laughs> Let's wait an hour.
Well, we appreciate uh, your time, and we hope to have you back uh, again uh, to talk with our listeners and to answer their calls uh, and questions. Thanks, Lucy. Great to be with you all. Again, this is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, Governor Lamont uh, in our studio. He has to leave uh, because of this upcoming uh, conference call between uh, New Jersey and New York uh, governors. But we are here also to answer your questions. The number 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I'm going to take some calls now. Uh, Sean is calling from Cromwell. Sean, Sean, you're on the show. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, um, I just had a quick comment and a question, really quick question. Um, first, my comment is I am a student at Middlesex Community College. I'm a political science major, and we just uh, had our school closed this past week. Um, I just noticed that during school it seemed like, you know, there was a discrepancy between political ideology. A lot of conservative kids were you know, saying this wasn't a really big deal, a lot of liberal kids saying it really was, and, you know, we live in a free society, we can't mandate people to stay indoors, but it's just something to notice, like, you know, how do we close that gap and letting people know how serious this is? And my question is, my mom is an LPN, she's a licensed practice nurse, she works at a nursing home, and I was just wondering, are there any additional steps that she should be taking, uh, aside from, you know, social distancing and, you know, washing hands, like, because she's at an elevated risk dealing with patients that might have this disease. Sean, thank you for your call. Dr. Bronte is from St. Francis Hospital. Hi, uh, Sean. So uh, to, you know, first go off the on the comment about, you know, people's different, you know, outtakes on what's going on. Again, I want to stress that the majority of patients who are going to get sick with coronavirus um, will have potentially mild courses. The issue comes that what people are not really grasping is that we have no immunity um, because this is a novel coronavirus. So the drastic measures that we are trying to take is to try and prevent as much of a surge of infections that we are expecting to have but to, so to speak, flatten that curve of uh, what people have been, you know, showing online, et cetera, so that we don't see such a significant surge and so that we don't inundate our um, healthcare system as a whole. The other question about his mom, who's a licensed yeah. practical nurse. Um, so to go off on that, I think it was about one week ago, last Monday, actually, there are no visitors now allowed into nursing facilities which was one way to try and help prevent, um, you know, spread of this infection. With regards to any extra precautions she may need to take, you kind of hit it on the head with, you know, washing hands, social distancing, even obviously when she's not at work, although, of course, she's a healthcare worker, so very important for for her to stay, you know, healthy. Um, and then obviously nursing homes as well are taking significant precautions that if they do have patients with fever, cough, shortness of breath, and there if there is any suspicion for coronavirus, are taking those measures of whether they need to isolate versus bring immediately to the hospital um, if they're sick. Nicole Leonard with Connecticut Public Radio. Yeah, and I would just want to add that we did talk to, um, I talked to one of the larger um, healthcare unions uh, in the state just last week about workers specifically in nursing homes. Um, and they they did express that some of those workers are taking extra precautions. They are limiting their social interactions uh, while they're off the job because they are so cognizant of the fact that they are working with elderly people and they don't want to bring anything into their workplace and they don't want to bring anything 
something from the workplace back home. Um, and then they did say, you know, really be in- encouraging those workers that if they are struggling at work, if they're running out of supplies, if they don't feel safe, um, to really bring those concerns to their superiors or if they are part of unions to, to bring those concerns up because they're likely not the only ones who are going to be experiencing that. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Brian's calling from Middletown. Brian, what's your question? Hi, good morning. Um, So I traveled throughout the state uh, doing um, in-home consultations for larger modeling projects. And I live in Middletown. County, and I believe there are no cases there, but I'm traveling to Fairfield County this morning, um, and my lovely girlfriend Kelly is home with my son, um, and she's nervous about, she works from home, which is great, but she's nervous about me going out each day and then coming back from a new area. I'm trying to keep um, my wrist down by wearing gloves at the gas pumps and not traveling to stores outside my town, my local town. Um, and I'm kind of worried about, you know, possibly having to call out of work and um, how that would go. Um, would, would the doctor perhaps, what recommendations do you have for me? Should I stay home from work as of now for like a week or two? see how this plays out to maybe help the curve, you know, not spike. Um, All right, let's hear Dr. Brontes uh, respond to you, Brian. So it doesn't sound like you have necessarily a, a job that you can work from home. You know, again, what we do about working and it's a difficult situation. I think some of the things you had mentioned that you're doing is, again, goes a long way with what everybody should be doing as far as social distancing, avoiding large crowds. Yes, if you are in areas that are, I guess, more hot spots, you know, trying to take extra precautions, definitely not being next to anybody at least six feet away of anyone that's sick, although those folks should actually be home and not necessarily out and about. Um, And, you know, Hand washing, huge, important, um, especially obviously when coming home. And, you know, a lot of people are dealing with what you're dealing to, all the healthcare workers, myself included, who have small children at home. Um, so the precautions that I'm taking are, you know, hand washing, hand washing, hand washing is the, the biggest thing. And, you know, advising employees or, you know, coworkers that if they're sick to stay home as well. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Brooks is calling from Woodbridge. Brooks, what's your question? Yes, I have a question about the coronavirus. There were some reports um, a couple of weeks ago coming out of China that some patients who had the coronavirus who had recovered had um, shortly thereafter recovering and being released got came down with coronavirus again. Has this been corroborated or has this been explained in, in any way? Do you know anything about this? So great question. And I think part of that answer is we don't know. Um, So, you know, usually we think about, you know, someone getting an infection, recovering that usually they're not necessarily susceptible of, you know, they may have immunity. But given that everything is so novel, so new, um, I think that's something that we're all looking into and researching as well to see that if patients have recovered, are they at still risk for contracting the virus again? Remind us, Dr. Abrantes, again, there are researchers, scientists working on a vaccine, but that takes at least a year? 
Absolutely. So as much as, you know, we would love to have something at our hands right away, these things take time um, to develop. And yes, they're working hard on developing an appropriate vaccine for this. What about um, medicine to help treat symptoms or an antiviral? I mean, what's the the latest on that? Right now, the a lot of the medications that are being used to treat the more critically ill folks who do develop coronavirus are all ongoing investigation, ongoing trials, things that have been done in China, um, trials that are ongoing here in um, the U.S. as well. And having, I won't go into specifics, but there are antivirals that are being looked at as well for treatment, certain criteria, um, working with drug companies to be able to get those um, drugs, especially since these are off-label uses since everything is so new. We've heard also statistics that, you know, half of our population or more may contract coronavirus between now and the fall. I mean, what is the latest on that, Dr. Abrantes? And how can you reassure people? Because they may be social distancing. They may be washing their hands. They're trying everything they can, but, you know, they have children at home. They need to go to the grocery store occasionally, or they need to get to work. They don't have the luxury of being able to work remotely. Sure. So I I think in part that's definitely true, but only time will tell. The main thing that we're trying to do right now is not necessarily stop the virus. It is to slow the spread of the virus so that our healthcare communities, our healthcare system do not get inundated with such a surge that we can't handle it. Because as of now, we are certainly capable of handling patients, but that's why we want to continue with the social distancing, and urging our community to take precautions so that we can help prevent the spread. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me, Dr. Jessica Abrantes, infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital. Also, Connecticut Public Radio's healthcare reporter, Nicole Leonard, is here in studio. You can join us, 888-720-9677, if you have a question. We've heard a lot of colleges and universities have extended uh, spring break, or they've gone completely to online up until the end of the month. Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut may be the first university in our state to announce it will close its campus for the remaining spring semester, opting to shift entirely to online learning. Uh, For more about how colleges and universities have responded, joining us by phone now is Cassie Bassler, senior editor with WSHU in Fairfield, Connecticut. Cassie, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. Uh, So tell us first, uh, the announcement from Quinnipiac, was that expected? Has that surprised people in the New Haven-Hamden community? Um, I don't think most people are surprised. I think a lot of people have been reading the writing on the wall where um, folks were saying um, they're welcome to leave campus, and a lot of people expected that if they're being asked to move out of the dorms, then they're not expected to come back anytime soon. Um, From our... uh, campus at Sacred Heart University where WSHU is located, we've been seeing communications that students should not expect to come back to campus before the end of the semester either. And so how have universities and colleges shifted uh, to online or remote learning? What does that look like, Cassie? Well, a lot of folks have been using um, video conferencing software. The colleagues that I've spoken to who are teaching media studies classes say it's been kind of a challenge because almost overnight, They had maybe a day to prepare to figure out how to transfer what might be a kind of interactive lecture with video clips and audio to um, just a normal lecture where you might be able to see a PowerPoint slide, but you can't actually listen in real time with your students and get their reaction. So um, I think it's a learning process, and I've noticed that a lot of professors on 
Twitter are sharing resources for improving online learning. There's a lot of sample curriculums that people can find online, um, and everybody seems to be in sort of the same boat as far as lecturers go. What about lab classes or some people who are graduate students, Cassie, that um, have to defend their dissertation now that has to be moved online? We're hearing mixed responses about how to handle those um, lab classes. Um, Some of them have been canceled because, for instance, nursing students have to do a clinical in a actual hospital setting. A lot of universities are saying it's not worth the risk right now for a student to be working in a care setting like that, and it is going to affect um, their graduation schedules if they don't get the number of hours required for licensing. Um, As far as dissertation defenses go, um, I have not heard from anybody specifically about that process. Um, but I would imagine that any sort of oral defense could be more easily shifted to an online setting than, say, um, if you're doing your student teaching semester in public schools, which are now all shuttered. Cassie Bassler, again, is with WSHU in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, Cassie, to, uh, currently all colleges and universities, are they closed here in Connecticut and have shifted to remote learning? Um, Yes, I think the CDC guidance saying there shouldn't be people gathering uh, more than 50 people has really reinforced that um, on-campus classes are uh, not going to be happening for the rest of the semester. I think there are um, still staff on campuses, and I've um, spoken to some folks who work at Yale in New Haven who are saying um, they've been given surveys asking whether they're able to work remotely or if their office can be reconfigured to make sure they're that safe six feet distance um, apart from other people in the office. Uh, It looks like there's going to be a lot of precautions taken, and we'll have to sort of wait and see uh, what folks decide to do for the staff at these universities where so many people are employed in cities like New Haven. Uh, Lastly, with uh, international students, uh, what have you been hearing uh, from them in terms of of, how this is impacting them or even students on financial aid who need to work while they're taking classes? Sure. Um, A lot of students on financial aid have been reaching out online to ask for folks' help. They have lost their work-study program. That that was income they counted on. Um, So while universities can't outright kick them out of the dorms right now, so they still have shelter at least, um, they're scrambling to figure out how to pay bills. I've seen a lot of uh, Harvard and Yale alumni doing fundraisers for those students. Um, And as far as international students go, they're facing a lot more challenges getting home, obviously, because you have the risk of traveling in an airport and also the extra expense of trying to buy a plane ticket somewhere where you might not be able to go live with a family member in your home country. Um, And as I said, a lot of alumni in these uh, university communities are trying to reach out to help those students. Officials correspondence varies from university to university. Um, It looks like there are opportunities for people who are um, here on work-study visas to be able to uh, continue to get their authorization to work after graduation, even though these campuses are being closed for in-person classes, which is good news for people who want to try to stay here and work um, when everybody is able to go back to the office. Again, you can join our conversation here on Where We Live, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to thank Cassie Bassler for joining us again. Uh, she is a senior editor with WSHU in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, Cassie, before we go, are you also uh, working remotely uh, despite having to, to cover the story? 
yes, I am. I'm in New Haven and actually looking at a empty elementary school across the street from my apartment right now. So it's, it's pretty surreal. Well, thank you, Cassie, for joining us remotely here on Where We Live. I wanted to take more calls from our listeners who have concerns or just questions about coronavirus, as again, many different parts of our state are working to stop the spread or slow it down, I should say. Pat is calling from New Haven. Pat, what's your question? I'd like to know if it's still fine for people to be outside getting exercise. Um, the our New Haven is closed park buildings and the state is doing the same, but nobody is saying it's still fine to go outside and get some exercise. Um, we even had a little, uh, a mom and daughter did a little park cleanup in our neighborhood uh, on Saturday. We put out rakes and bags and they wore gloves and everybody stayed six feet away from each other. And, you know, it was fun. And, um, so I just want to know if you can directly address the question of whether being outside is still just fine as long as we keep our social distance. Great question, Pat. Dr. Brontes. Yeah, very good question. I think people need to keep their sanity, too, while this is all going on. And I do think that it's still okay for people to go outside, get their exercise. I think the big thing would be no large groups. And then even if you in, are in some smaller groups, definitely no one that's ill keeping even your six foot, um, you know, distance from, from other folks. And, you know, people could do the same thing in their own homes, you know, being outside in the backyard, if you have small kids, you know, pets, etc. Um, I think that would be okay. And obviously, time will tell as this all unfolds. Again, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With me in studio, Dr. Jessica Abrantes, infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford. Nicole Leonard is also here, healthcare reporter for Connecticut Public Radio. You can join us, too, coming up right after the break. Again, thousands of people are now staying home. That includes school children. We're hearing again that most all of the schools will be closed as of Tuesday morning. How is that impacting you if you have to work remotely and you also have to figure out child care? You can join us, 888 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thousands of students are home because Connecticut schools are closed or will be closed as of tomorrow morning, at least over the next two weeks. Is your child or children among them? How are you handling this? Is child care now an issue for you? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, joining me now by phone is Fran Rabinowitz, the Executive Director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. A friend, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you. This latest executive order, Governor Lamont, closing all schools as of Tuesday morning. How many students are we talking about, Fran, that will now be home? We are probably talking about um, <clears throat> about 530,000 students who will be home throughout Connecticut. Actually, as of Sunday, I um, would say at least 95% of the schools um, had closed on Friday. So as of today, I would expect that 
more than 95% of the students are at home today. And how have has your organization or even the Department of Ed uh, Commissioner, I know you, all of you are collaborating, um, how have you helped school districts prepare for this? Because this was a pretty, done pretty quickly in terms of having to yes, close the schools. Absolutely, it was. And, you know, uh, CAPS, which is my organization, and um, the State Department of Education, are collaborating very, very closely, and we are um, trying to send out um, updates constantly on resources that um, that schools might use in preparing a distance learning plan. I think initially we believed that it was going to be a shorter closing, perhaps two weeks. That may be the case, but we're we're looking at information that we're receiving now that says it may be longer than that. And so we're looking at establishing um, distance learning programs in all of our school districts. Some districts were well prepared to do that. Others um, will need help with Wi-Fi and um, technology. When you talk about other schools that will need help with Wi-Fi and technology, I imagine that a lot of those are schools within our major cities. So what will that look like, Fran, in terms of getting uh, computers in the hands of children who may not have that at their home and having Wi-Fi connectivity? Well, we're hoping that many of the companies will um, provide that Wi-Fi. Um, and I also do believe that even in a Bridgeport, in which I was interim superintendent for three years, more than 75% of the students at that time, um, which is two years ago, had um, Wi-Fi connectivity. But we need to ensure that every student's needs are met. I believe that they will be doing, um, you know, an enormous amount of work through the, through their websites. I mean, I know that districts have sent home learning packets as well. That may be reality, and students may need um, to pick up paper um, packets from the schools. I am just conjecturing that that might be the case, but. We are working together to um, to figure it out because it is going to be absolutely essential that students continue the learning that has gone on. And I want to be I want to be clear about this, Lucy. Um, you know, a trusted friend and advisor on Saturday said to me, "Perfect is the enemy of good," and. I absolutely believe that it won't be perfect, but we have to try to do the very best that we can for um, all students in Connecticut. Fran, when you mentioned serving all students, what about students with disabilities? How are schools, communities going to respond to them? I understand the federal government says schools don't have to provide special ed services to students during the pandemic. Well, what we're doing right now is we have a conference call um, this morning with all superintendents to um, to talk about what that um, can look like. We have some districts who have already submitted waivers to the state and been approved. Um, the districts have been incredibly innovative, and we want them to share their um, innovations with us. Obviously, it is all through phone calls and um, and distance learning opportunities. It is not in person, 
but we're doing the best we can to ensure that all students' needs are met. A friend, Rabina, would stay with us again. She's executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. Uh, Richard's calling from Plantsville. Richard, what's your question? Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, so on Friday, I found out that basically all the elementary schools and primary schools where I substitute at in Hartford County will be closed for the next couple weeks. And I'm starting to get concerned that these schools are going to be closed much longer than expected. So um, I know many other substitutes and paraprofessionals who are getting pretty concerned about this. And uh, I was wondering if either the federal or state governments were taking any action to help people in situations like us. Richard, thank you for your call. Fran, uh, what do you know about uh, whether there will be unemployment to help people like Richard? Well, I do know that um, I just received a notice that there are um, unemployment benefits available for um, those employees who have been um, affected by the coronavirus. I did send that out to all superintendents this morning. Um, I don't know all the details of that. And I do know that um, we have begun discussing that with superintendents. I was at a small meeting on Friday where um, superintendents expressed their concern about 12-month employees, and I do believe there will be more discussion on that. Well, we want to thank Fran Rabinowitz for joining us here and where we live again. She's executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Student, uh, School Superintendents. Before you go, Fran, for st- children yep. who need uh, to be fed, uh, who don't have access to food, again, for people listening, can they contact their local school district to find out where they can pick up uh, school lunches, school breakfasts? Yes, and the school district has posted it on the website. Um, it, to the best of my knowledge, All school districts will be um, providing um, breakfast and lunch for um, the um, students who are free and reduced lunch. All right, Fran Rabinowitz, uh, thanks again uh, here on Where We Live. Uh, We're going to hope to speak with her again as uh, we hear that uh, schools uh, could be closed even longer than uh, this two-week period. But let's take some calls now uh, here on Where We Live. Uh, Mike's calling from Bloomfield. Mike, you're on the show. Morning. Thank you. I just wanted to get some clarification from the doctor on how long the virus can live on a surface. Originally, we had heard up to nine days, and then I read something else could be three days. And then also, uh, some of that I know has been done in testing in laboratories. What about the virus on an outdoor surface where it's exposed to sunlight, for example? Thank you. Dr. Abrantes, again, from St. Francis Hospital. Sure. Good question. And again, I think this is ever-evolving. Yes, the virus can live on surfaces. So, you know, as far as how long, usually several days. But the big important thing that we're trying to stress, along with hand-washing, the social distancing, is cleaning high-touch surfaces quite frequently. Things that you wouldn't even think of, but doorknobs, tabletops, you know, Chair handles as I'm sitting here touching the chair. <laughs> we wiped um, it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, the the importance of cleaning those high-touch surfaces, though, so that we can, you know, clean them off, take away the virus. <laughs> uh, Nancy from Facebook wants to know, is it okay to go get a haircut at a local salon? What would you tell her? So, you know, at this point, uh, if it's, you know... <laughs> 
not uh, essential. You may want to rethink those things. Again, large crowds we want to avoid. You probably aren't in necessarily a large crowd in there. Um, but again, to do our part as a community, to try and avoid crowds being out in public is probably the best thing right now. Charles is calling from New Hartford. Charles, what's your question? Okay, my question is, uh, just to give you a brief uh, background, I'm 72 with an underlying condition of diabetes. Okay, I have no symptoms at all. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was uh, just kind of reviewing this uh, whole thing, and I came up with a couple ideas that I implemented for myself. I got the uh, pneumonia vaccination the first time, and uh, that was at the local CVS and just got it done. I understand that later on, if you get this virus, that that could possibly uh, help in uh, uh, dealing with pneumonia possibility. The other thing uh, has to do with I'm keeping track of my temperature, which is currently normal, but I've been tracking it and writing it down as sort of on my calendar. Um, is there any advantage to doing that sort of thing? And uh, is there a level at which uh, there would be an indicator? You know, I understand that high temperature is like 104, so on and so forth, but is there an, a lower level high temperature rate that I should contact my doctor about? Thank you, Charles, is for your question. Any? Dr. Brontes. So I want to commend you for going out and getting your pneumonia shot because uh, while that may not necessarily prevent you from getting coronavirus, sometimes what we're seeing with folks who are infected with coronavirus is super, back, super infection with bacterial. Um, along those lines, actually, it's actually not too late to get a flu shot. We are still in flu season, for so for those who have not gotten a flu shot, getting one actually is something that we would advise. Um, with regards to the last part of the question... He's been taking his temperature daily. He wants to know, is that something that he should keep doing? So I would say if you are feeling well and otherwise have not had contact with uh, someone who's been infected or if um, you are practicing the social distancing, I think you probably don't necessarily have to do it frequently. Certainly if you've been exposed to somebody um, and are not showing signs of infection, but in those cases, then I would recommend probably taking your temperature maybe twice a day. You know, we are seeing varying degrees of temperature. So I'd say anything above 100, 100.4 would be something that you should call your doctor about. Uh, Nicole Leonard with Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, Dr. Brontes, uh, like our last caller, he did fall into the, um, when we talk about at-risk populations, um, this generally consists of older uh, adults, especially ones maybe with underlying medical conditions. But we also uh, know that children uh, can be uh, impacted by the virus as well. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how this is appearing in children? Are they um, coming becoming ill with COVID-19? And uh, can they potentially spread it to others? Sure. So I'm an adult infectious disease doctor, but we have been uh, obviously following about pediatric cases. Now, kids actually are not immune, so they can potentially still get infected. Uh, the thing that we've been seeing, however, is that they may present with more mild symptoms. They may actually even present with some atypical symptoms or symptoms that adults wouldn't necessarily present with either. I've been hearing some you know, gastrointestinal or diarrhea-type symptoms. The other thing that I want to stress is that although kids may do well, they have the capability of then infecting adults. So kids in a household may then infect mom, dad, 
grandma if she's living there too. So something to be to be wary about and understand. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, we did have someone on the phone who's no longer with us, but was asking um, if uh, health officials had anticipated this type of virus and its impact on population. Dr. Abrantes, you're an infectious disease specialist. So what can you uh, tell that listener? Uh, so, you know, if we had been expecting this kind of what to do, I think we're trying to start to take aggressive measures that are, you know, really are to benefit the entire community, our entire population. So for those who think, you know, things we may be, quote unquote, overreacting, the the big thing I want to stress is that, again, although the majority of patients will do fine with this, we want to prevent a surge of patients that are critically ill that would need our healthcare system. So we want to leave our healthcare system for those who really need it. And just a couple of minutes left, Nicole. And Dr. Brontes, as I understand it, you know, as we keep going, uh, the governor mentioned before that they are trying to expand testing capabilities. What are some of the hospitals being prepared to do or um, hoping to do in the next week or in the next couple weeks that may um, be expanding their either their testing capabilities or the capability to see more people who may have symptoms um, of coronavirus? Great question. So a lot of hospitals, including St. Francis, are looking at labs to be able to kind of bypass the Department of Health so that we can get testing ourselves. The other thing that we're looking through and discussing and really trying to push forward is with the concept of drive-through testing so that we can test a good amount of people quickly while avoiding bringing them into the ER and potentially exposing other folks. Dr. Jessica Abrantes, again, is an infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford. Dr. Abrantes, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Also here with us, Nicole Leonard, healthcare reporter for Connecticut Public Radio. Nicole, thank you. Always happy to be here. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Senior Director of Radio Katie Talarski. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Like many of you, we at Connecticut Public, we're working remotely too. But when we can, we're coming into the studio. We're committed to being on the air to bring you the latest on coronavirus and other stories in our state. Uh, We hope you continue to join us this week and we hope you stay safe.